Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. childhood and church, so I truly enjoyed that. Hey, well, welcome to New Spring, everyone. We are so thrilled to have you here with us today. Um, at this time, I invite you to go ahead and stand to your feet as we begin to sing out some songs together. This first song is, is one that we recently introduced here at New Spring, and it's quickly becoming one of my favorites because it reminds me that no matter whatever I'm facing, no matter whatever struggles we're going, we're ever going through, is that nothing is too big or too hard for our way-making, miracle-working God. And so we invite you to sing this song out with us today. You are here. 
circumstance, but it rests in our source, and our source is Jesus Christ.
Anxiety is human, and so not surprisingly, it's a common Bible theme. For these four weeks, we're only going to be looking at one chapter in the Bible, Psalm 139. But the truth is, you can open your Bible to just about any page, and you'll see something about anxiety. It's a common Bible issue, and it's a common issue for Bible heroes. When you study the people of the, men, of the Bible, the men and the women who were heroes, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, boy, did Jacob have troubles with anxiety. Ruth, Moses, Job. Hey, do you remember when Job's world fell apart? Do you know what he said? He said, the thing I always worried about has finally happened to me. Joshua, Esther, David, Elijah, and you can go on and on throughout its pages. And these are the heroes. These are the women and men that we're told to look up to and to emulate their good traits. It's a human struggle, it's a common struggle in the Bible, and it's my struggle. It has been all of my life. When I was a kid, I didn't know what they were, but I had panic attacks. In fact, I had them into my 20s. I also had and have unexplained irrational, irrational anxiety throughout my life. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, there was a song about a man who was in an automobile accident. It was sung in the first person and it's the ambulance ride to the hospital, and he dies before he gets there. And when I was a kid, all I had to hear was the opening music of that song, and I would lock up. I laugh about that now, but in the succeeding decades, there have been plenty of other triggers. So if you struggle with anxiety, hello, fellow traveler. I'm glad you're here. I, I, I talked to my sons, Jonathan and Stephen, as I was getting ready for this series, and I said, this is kind of awkward because I'm going to be leading our church through a struggle or through a subject exploration of a struggle that I have probably as much as anybody. I said, really, I kind of feel like I'm preaching this sermon in my pajamas. It's that dream you have where you have to give a speech or show up somewhere and you realize you're not dressed appropriately for that environment. Well, I feel as vulnerable in bringing you this series as if I were preaching in my, in my pajamas. So let's start here. We've got to start someplace. So for all of you who deal with anxiety, and I think that's all of us, at least at some level, let me begin with a sentence, and we'll leave the last word blank, and you can supply the last word. Anxiety is blank. Now, what would you put in there? For some of you who don't deal with anxiety very much, you would say anxiety is occasional. Or others of you would say anxiety is situational. If I get into a particular situation that causes me to worry, then I have anxiety. Not normally, but anxiety is situational. Others of you who deal with it a little more might say anxiety is painful. And there could be some of us who would say anxiety is debilitating. You know, I never question the word I would put in that sentence because my choice would be anxiety is confusing. It's been my lifelong struggle and yet it still confuses me. Anyone who knows me personally knows that I am not by nature a fearful person. My life has been characterized by taking on risks, risks that would probably scare the average person. 
And yet, while I might take on challenges that might scare the normal person, some small, insignificant thing that most of you would laugh at can, like, take me off the road. And so for me, anxiety is confusing. It's hard for me to parse my own personality in being a person who is a risk-taker by nature, who loves challenges, and yet small, crazy stuff can make me feel very anxious. Well, the American Psychological Society defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. Well, for me, that's where it gets complicated because some of you, as I've already indicated, you have that in situations. You're not typically anxious, but if you have a difficult meeting or if you have something that is especially frightening, then it can create tension. It might even cause your blood pressure to spike a little bit. And after all, we do live in anxious times. There is a codified study that's repeated often, and it is correct, and it is true, that the average child in the United States today has the same level of anxieties as the psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Let me say that one more time. The average child in the United States has the same level of anxiety as the psychiatric patient of the 1950s. For all of us who are parents and grandparents, it causes us to pause for a moment and ask the question, what kind of world have we given our kids? One teenager who was talking about the anxiety of him and his peers said, we're walking around like volcanoes waiting to explode. We're so proud of our technology today as though technology solves our problems. But when I think about what technology has done to us, I'm reminded of a comment made to me about 30 years ago about four-wheel drive vehicles when they were becoming in vogue for the average driver in the United States. Jesse Looper was a layman in our church who was a car guy. He owned uh, a shop that dealt with automobiles. He's a missionary now. But I remember about 30 years ago, we were discussing four-wheel drive, and Jesse said, four-wheel drive is great. You can get stuck a lot further out that way. <laughs> and that's sort of how I feel about technology. It hasn't really solved our problems. It's just allowed us to get stuck a lot further out. Think about that. The average child today has the same level of anxiety as the psychiatric patient of the 1950s. So if you feel anxiety, it's very probable that you would because these are anxious times. But then there are some of us who deal with anxiety in a different way. We have what the pros would diagnose as an anxiety disorder. I do. I have one. I am a poster child for attention deficit disorder. Those two sometimes go together, often go together. So what I want to say from the very beginning, this series is not medical help. I've benefited from that in times past, and medical help certainly has its place. And so consequently, what we're going to talk about for these next four weeks, these do not take the place of medical help. But they are spiritual help. And spiritual help is important, whether you only deal with anxiety situationally or, like me, you deal with it in the terms of an anxiety disorder. Let me, let me explain. Let's say a person has diabetes. Sometimes it's easier for us to talk about medical help in terms of what are commonly known physical issues. So let's, let's use diabetes, for example. If a person has diabetes, they, they very likely are going to need medical treatment. And very possibly, they are going to require 
insulin. But insulin does not take the place of sound nutrition and a healthy lifestyle. So when we talk about sound nutrition and a healthy lifestyle, it both benefits a long-time diabetes sufferer, but it also helps those who are trying to monitor their sugar intake. And that's kind of like the series. It's not medical help, but it will benefit all of us, whether you deal with anxiety every once in a while or, like me, it is a daily battle. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Psalm 139. And I want you to get very familiar with this psalm because it is the song. The word psalm means song. It is the song for the anxious mind. Could I just ask you to think about something? It will not be enough for you to hear these sermons because you will need to own this psalm personally. It, it can be a go-to song when anxiety comes. Some of you will want to memorize this. I, I'm Mary Allison and I are in the process of memorizing this song because whenever anxiety comes, I want to immediately go to the planks and the lines of this song. So I'm going to give you a few moments to turn to Psalm 139, even if, you know, if you're using an electronic device or if you're using an old school book, Bible, please go ahead and turn there. So while you're turning there, let's say this is a good place to start. For all of us who deal with anxiety, could we start by no longer reproaching ourselves for dealing with anxiety? This is, and this may sound peculiar to some of you, but for those of us who deal with anxiety on a on a recurring basis, sometimes we become anxious about our anxiety. We can have anxiety over anxiety. And if we're not careful, we'll start beating ourselves up like, here I go again in this anxiety. Hey, guilt and shame do absolutely no good at all. Let me give you some reasons why you should not beat yourself up about dealing with anxiety. We've already said the Bible talks a lot about it, so it presumes it's a common issue. We've also seen that some of the heroes in the Bible deal with anxiety. I want to give you a scripture that I have both loved and, well, let's just say I've had a hard time with it from time to time. In the book of Philippians, and you can find any one of my Bibles that I use frequently, and the book of Philippians is going to be worn out. That little four-chapter book is, is a book about emotional health, and that's why I love it. I call it my, my biblical antidepressant. But there's a verse in the fourth chapter that I go to, I love, I teach on it, but then sometimes it can kind of rebuke me. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where the Bible says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. So in essence, it's saying anxiety should never be part of my life Prayer should be to the go-to thing. Well, I believe that, love it, teach it, but because I fail at it so often, this can be a challenging verse for me. By the way, did you know that Amazon tracks electronic markings of the e-books that it sells? That's kind of weird, isn't it? But hey, good morning, 2019, how are you? I mean, that's, that's just where we are. What I did find interesting is, of course, many of their e-books are Christian in nature or biblical in nature. Did you know the most marked verse of Amazon's tracking of markings of Bible verses? I would have thought it was John 3, 16 or the 23rd Psalm. The most marked scripture verse in e-books is Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything but everything in prayer. Now, as many times as I've read the book of Philippians, I don't know why I never caught that, caught this 
until this past week. Because in Philippians chapter 2, verse 28, which is just about a chapter and a half before Paul will say, don't be anxious about anything, Paul is writing the church at Philippi, talking about a ministry assistant who came to help Paul from Philippi, and he got sick, and he almost died, but now he's better, and Paul is sending him back home. Now, look at verse 28. Paul said, when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Wow, same author. A chapter and a half apart. Paul is like, don't be anxious about anything. Now he's talking about Epaphroditus. Oh, hope when he gets home, everything's okay. That will help me. I'll have less anxiety about that. Do you get that tension between even this great spiritual leader who wrote 13 out of 27 New Testament books? Paul's saying, hey, don't be anxious about anything. Oh, I hope Epaphroditus is okay when he gets home. I want to have less anxiety about this. So we should stop reproaching ourselves because, number one, it's a common Bible subject. God is continually teaching us about this. Number two, we realize that even the heroes struggle with this, and this is one that is especially beautiful to me, and that is that Jesus does not reproach us for having anxiety. That's, a, that's an eye-opener to me because having dealt with this all my life and reading the Gospels, there are times when it seems like Jesus is like, really turning the light on the disciples for having an absence of faith. And I almost would read those texts as though Jesus was like, I'm really unhappy with you guys because of your anxiety. But I was just reading one of those stories where the disciples freak out in a storm. And in Mark, listen to this, Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, look at Jesus' response and tune your ear to listen to what he's actually saying. He said, why are you so afraid? He didn't say you're bad guys and I wish I hadn't picked you. He didn't say you guys are a bunch of losers and I don't, know, I don't think I'll ever be able to get anything out of you. He, he asked them, why? Why are you so afraid? And I almost heard, don't get me wrong, it wasn't audible, but I almost heard Jesus asking me that question. Mark, why? Not you're a bad person and I wish I'd never called you to lead New Spring Church. I wouldn't blame him for that. But it's like the Lord is saying, why? Now, think about something for a moment. In a rational conversation, and the question why is asked, it is because there's um, a questioning of why something is said or done. It's as if it's not tethered to reality. That's why we use the word, the question why. And I really believe that's what Jesus is asking us. For all of us who struggle with anxiety, the Lord is not saying, you're bad and I wish you weren't my kid. He's like, why? Why? That's what led me to this series. Because I thought, well, if I'm anxious, it's because I've become disconnected from realities that really could govern this scenario. And so for the next four weeks, I want to walk you through the song for the anxious mind Psalm 139. So let's go into that. Well, speaking of songs, if anxiety were a song, I guess it would be a solo because for all of us who deal with anxiety, we typically deal with it alone. I, I rarely ever talk to anybody else about my anxieties. I have become good at, if you want to use that term good in the context, I have become good at figuring out a way to go on with normal life and normal conversations while my insides 
are in all kinds of turmoil. Anybody else good at that? I've discovered the more I talk about anxiety, anxiety tends to hit leadership types. And as leaders, well, we have to go on with life. We have to continue to conduct meetings. We have to set through budget meetings. We have to talk about major uh, strategic issues. And we have to carry on the conversation as though nothing's wrong when on the inside we can barely function. I compare it to trying to carry on a normal conversation while someone is screaming in the next room because anxiety screams. Well, why do we go it alone? Well, I think sometimes we're embarrassed. <laughs> we don't want to talk about how that someone who's normally functional is not being functional today because of something that may appear to be trivial to others. So perhaps embarrassment is part of it. I'll tell you what causes me not to communicate it. Because sometimes anxiety is hard to put into words. You know, anxiety doesn't work like a lightning strike. It's more like a fog. And sometimes when I'm in the fog of anxiety, it's hard for me to explain it to anybody else. It's hard for me to even explain it to myself. In fact, one of the things that therapists are saying today that's very helpful in anxiety is just to articulate the feelings. Because oftentimes what we're feeling is this fog of undefined thoughts. And then those of us who deal with anxiety often do it alone because we're trying to protect the people around us. We don't want to bring them down. There's nothing they can do about it. And so it's like, well, maybe if I don't tell anybody about it, I'll just carry this alone. Well, the first five verses of the song for the anxious mind, Psalm 139, is what we're going to look at today. And I'll tell you, if all we get out of that is the fact that you don't have to carry anxiety alone, this is going to be time well spent today. The title of today's message is Never a Solo, Never a Solo. With that out of the way, I want to read to you the first five verses of Psalm 139, and then we'll unpack it line by line. So let's read. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. And then in verse 6, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful, too amazing for me, too great for me to understand. So there are roughly five statements here. We're going to look at them quickly. You're going to own them. You're going to go home with them. You're going to apply these to your lives. And then we're going to get better just with this one talk today. Let's look at number one. Verse one, O Lord... You have examined my heart and know everything about me. In today's terms, we would say, God, you have studied me and you know everything about me. It's so beautiful to me because studying someone, that's what we do when we fall in love, right? We study that person. There's a night in September in 1972 that I can just call back and reach as though it happened 30 minutes ago. I'm entering my junior year in high school. I'm heavily engaged in forensics and debate. And my high school in Fort Worth is putting on an invitational tournament for the state high schools in the state of Texas. And it's sort of like the kickoff for all debate tournaments in Texas high schools. So consequently, we've got 
We've got debate programs, debate teams coming from all over the state of Texas to O.D. Wyatt High School in Fort Worth. Our team has been working for weeks to get ready for it, but on the night that it begins, I am told that I am going to be judging. I actually wound up judging a couple of Houston teams. And so I've got my packet of information to go judge this event, and I am told that I'm going to have a timekeeper, and she turns out to be a beautiful, young, blonde freshman um, who's going to keep time, and her name is Mary Alice McDonald. That is whom we met. So we walk around together during that first night of the tournament, and in between we kind of talk and have conversations, the conversation continues. And, and then the next day on Saturday when we have the tournament, she, we, she continues to walk with me around. We talk more. I actually wind up taking her home that day. And you know, you know how it is when you first fall in love. I mean, you just like are so interested. And I can still remember those first weeks. We had a debate class that was really just a research period. We were all kind of on our own and on our own. She would sit next to me and talk to me and I would talk to her and she would tell me about her mom and about her dad and what her dad and mom did for a living and how she grew up and she was a Christian and went into a great church and her sister's names and her nephew's names. And I mean, I got to learn all about her because I was interested. I was in the process of falling in love. Now that's been decades ago, but I still study Mary Alice. I watch her face. I study her moods. I study what she cares about. I know what she likes. I know what she dislikes. I know what puts her in uncomfortable situations. I've spent decades of studying her, and it's a process that continues on to this day. Why? Because I am in love with her, and I want to know everything about her. Do you understand that that's what God is saying to you? God is saying, I I, I make a study of you. God is in love with you. It's not just that he knows you in a number. I mean, it's not that God looks down from heaven and says, okay, you're one of the 7,000 or so who will attend New Spring today. You're part of the crowd. God studies you, and he knows everything about you. Look at that again. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. After all, that's where the emotions are. Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart, and you know everything about me. Does that pop any word into your head? For me, it's the word anyway. It's like, God, you know everything about me, but you love me anyway. Hey, let's talk about your insecurities for a moment. You have them, unless you quit breathing. Just unscrew the halos. I want you to think about your insecurities for a moment. Are you insecure about what people know about you? Or what they don't know about you. Oh, that's a two-inch pot. You're insecure about what they don't know about you. That's the reason we are insecure. We're terrified they're going to find out what they don't know about us that we're awkward about. or Or feel guilt about. And yet, God has studied you because he's in love with you. He knows everything about you. And he loves you anyway. No wonder David said, that knowledge is too massive for me. I can't even process that. Well, let's go to the second statement. In Psalm 139.2, the Bible says, you know when I sit down and when I stand up. In today's terms, it's God, you pay attention to things about me I don't even pay attention to myself. Hey, 
here in Kansas right now, it is 1134, maybe a little bit later if you're in North Auditorium. Do you remember all the times that you stood up or sat down today? I can't. I mean, this is still fairly early in the day, but I don't. Why does God say, I know when you stand up and when you sit down? Because those are things we don't even think about. But God is like, I am so into you. I am watching all these details of your life. I know everything about you, even down to the details. Well, it's sort of interesting what happens next. It's going to depend upon whether your struggle with anxiety is occasional or if it's ongoing like mine. Because if it's occasional, you could say, I don't know what this has to do with anxiety. Others of you know exactly already. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but where are my fellow attention deficit strugglers. We often deal with anxiety, and the reason for that is, I think, there are multiple reasons, but one of the primary reasons is details is where we often lose it. And so consequently, we freak out because we're afraid something is going to slip our minds. So consequently, we worry about stuff that we don't even know that we're worrying about. We just know we don't handle details very well, and it's like, God, I'm freaking out because I don't know what I'm forgetting, but I must be forgetting something. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm guessing a few of you know exactly what that is like. And the psalmist is like, God, I'm freaking out here, but you know all the things about me I don't even pay attention to. You're probably going to laugh at this. You may even question whether it's true. I don't blame you if I were sitting out there and I heard what I'm about to tell you. I'm not sure I would believe it, except I know it is true. I have watched as time after time, God has caught little details that I had let slip and used supernatural ways to remind me of what I was forgetting. You just have to be there. One comes to mind especially. Many years ago when I was still performing weddings, I had agreed to perform a wedding that was about two years in, a, in the future. I think they were college students and they were waiting to graduate, but they knew they wanted to get married. And they were on top of things. They actually went through counseling probably about 18 months early. And so now I've got this wedding out in Never Never Land in the future, and it's on my calendar, I think, but I don't have to worry about it because it's so far away in the future and quite Actually, I lost it. I just lost time, lost sense of it. So one evening in the summer, I've been to work out at the gym. I'm sitting in my deck in my workout clothes, drinking some lemonade and just listening to some music. I got the headphones on and just chilling. And all of a sudden, it just pops into my head. Yeah, you got that wedding coming up, you know, somewhere out there in the future in a few months. Probably be good for you just to check it out, see when it's going to be. And I started looking through my, you know, my notes, and I couldn't find it. And a couple of times, I even started to say, hey, I don't even need to do this. I, I'm, I'm obsessing about this. I'll just let it go. But I kept looking through old emails, and finally, I found it. Now, by this time, it's about 6.25 in the evening. And when I open the email, I find out that wedding is going to take place at 7 o'clock tonight in a town outside of Wichita. 
I don't think my feet touched the floor as I ran from my deck to the back room, put on a dark suit over my sweaty body. And you don't want to know how fast I drove on the Kansas Turnpike to get there. I got there at five minutes to seven, walked in. I'm here to do a wedding. It's a big church wedding. I'm just telling you, God has done that so many times. See, I, I mean, I've had a psychologist tell me, you may be the most ADD human being I've ever met in my life. And he's a specialist in ADD. And God is like, Mark, I'm here to help you. I know when you get up. I know when you sit down. I'm that into you. I love you that much. Well, let's go to the third thing. Because I really think what we just learned is about to get better with the third statement. In our translation, which is normally very accurate, it's, it's not translated correctly. In our translation, it makes it sound like God, even though he's a long way off from us, he knows what our thoughts are. But that's not what it says. I want to appeal to the Amplified translation, where the Bible says, you understand my thought afar off. What it really says is that, this is beautiful, God knows our thoughts before they're fully formed. Even, in other words, when our thoughts are still far off from us, while they're in process, while they're becoming fully formed, when they're in the process of becoming finalized, God is like, I know when you start thinking where you're going to wind up and where the, where the ultimate thought is. I'll tell you why this is so big for those who struggle with anxiety. Anxious thoughts tend to go through an evolution. We oftentimes begin with a perfectly innocuous thought. It's not frightening. It's not scary at all. But those of us who are really good at anxiety, we start throwing in our what ifs. And before long, something that's not threatening at all, it can, it can, it can go to Def, DEFCON 3. I mean, you know, because we're just in this process. Now, here's the thing. I recognize that this statement may not be as meaningful to some as it is to me. I think of the five statements we're going to look at, this is the one that is most precious to me. Because every once in a while, and I don't know if anyone ever else feels like doing this, I don't know that I really do it literally, but I can like put one hand on one side of my head and the other hand on the other side and say to myself, I am crazy for real. (laughs) Is there anybody else who does that? Like, and especially when I get over the anxiety, because we worry about 90 plus percent of stuff that doesn't even materialize. So when it doesn't materialize, I'm like looking back at myself and I'm like, Mark, you are crazy. You have the weirdest thought process. Do you, do you hear what God is saying here? He's like putting his hands on either side of my head and saying, Mark, I know how you think. I know your thought process. Does that, I don't know if that means to anybody else what it means to me here today. I mean, it is as if God sweetly is just cradling us in his arms and saying, I know how your thinking works. I know it's whacked. I know it can be silly. I know you're embarrassed about it after everything works out. 
But God is saying, I know how you think. I, I, I know where you started in your thinking and how you wound up in that bad place. I know how you think. Now, let's go to the next one. Psalm 139, verse 3. The psalmist said, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. I think there's a literal meaning here, but there's much, much more important figurative meaning. I mean, for me, it's pretty easy because I hate travel. Now, a lot of people love travel. I don't. And I have to travel to do a lot of speaking. And I don't like it because I'm in another place that I don't recognize. I've got an automobile that I'm not familiar with. I've got to make turns on roads that I don't know. I'm not familiar, I'm not comfortable with it, so I'm not crazy about travel. Okay, that's literal, but I think figuratively what God is saying is, I know when you're comfortable and when you're not comfortable. Hey, think about next week right now. It's Sunday here in Wichita. Think about next week. How many of you have stuff to do this week that you're comfortable with? You're in your zone. You could do it not maybe in your sleep, but you're so comfortable with it. It is who you are. It's what you do. I just do what you do. You're comfortable with it. Okay. What are you facing this week that you're not comfortable with? What's that meeting that you got to go to and you don't know what the outcome is going to be and you're dealing with somebody who's not always fun to deal with. And when you go to that meeting, you're not going to be in your comfort zone. I mean, if you're in college right now, you have some classes that you're comfortable with. You got classes that you're not comfortable with. Fair? And what God is saying is, I'm in love with you. I see you. I know everything about you. I know how your mind works. And and I I know that there are going to be times when you're in your comfort zone and you're not in your comfort zone. Now, look at the verb that God uses here. God says, I see you. Well, that's powerful. But I now want to marry this to the fifth thought because We could say, well, God, if you see me when I'm not comfortable, is that where it stops? That would be important to know that he sees us and we're not by ourselves. But look at the fifth thought. I love this. Verse 5 of Psalm 139. You go before me and you follow me. In today's terms, it would mean that God goes in before we get there and he stays after we leave. Now, I want you to think about that meeting that you've got that you're not looking forward to. Suppose you huddle with Jesus before the meeting starts. And Jesus is like, okay, I know this is a tough meeting for you. And meeting with this person is not your favorite thing to do. So here's what we're going to do here. I'm going to go in there and work before you go in there. And then after you stay and they don't know what you're, what they're, what, and when you have to leave and you don't know what they're saying about you after you leave, I'm going to stay in there. Wow. Is that cool? Jesus is like, I know when you're comfortable, I know when you're not comfortable. So I I tell you what I'm going to do. I not only see you, I'm going to go in there before you get there, and I'm going to work for a little while, and then you're going to come in there, and then you're going to leave, and then I'm going to stay in there and continue to work after you go. I really believe a lot of our anxiety is two-pronged. We don't know the future and can't change the past, and yet Jesus is in both places. Well, those thoughts are fantastic, aren't they? Five thoughts. And I hope that when you open Psalm 139, you'll scroll through those thoughts. Whether you're not dealing with anxiety or if you're in the throes of it, go through those, those five thoughts. And we're going to look at the rest of the psalm in a little while, but we're going to stop here. 
For me, I love the statement in verse five that kind of like is the last lyric of the first verse of the song. David said, you place your hand a blessing on my head. You know what preachers do? We preach our sermons to each other. So I was preaching this sermon to Stephen this week in my office. And I got to that line and Stephen started laughing. He said, Dad, that's my favorite line in the first five verses. You place your hand a blessing on my head. Stephen said, my head is where all the trouble is. I like that. But it's, it's more than that. See, in the Bible, there are several ways of communicating a blessing. When this series is over in the month of November, we're doing a series called Blessed, and I can't wait to do that. We're going to be talking about the ground rules of blessing. If you want to be blessed, it's a great series to attend. But in the Bible, there are several ways of communicating a blessing. You can say a blessing, speak a blessing, you can send a blessing, but the most intimate way of blessing is the laying on of hands. Because in the laying on of hands, the blesser is communicating something she or he owns to the blessee. That is why when you look in the Bible that fathers would place their hands on the heads of their children as they were blessing them. You see that in Genesis 49 with Jacob. And what it is saying is something that I have, I'm about to give to you. And David said, God... You love me, you're in love with me, you know everything about me, and you love me anyway, and you know the details of my life, and you see me when I'm comfortable and when I'm uncomfortable, and you go in there before I go in there, and you leave, and you stay after I leave. And God, you put your hand of blessing on my head and give me what you have. Have you felt any hope yet? Anxiety is not a solo. We are flawed people on an uneven journey in a broken world. And those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we know that someday when this life is over, we're going to have a perfect mind that's as good as Jesus's, and we're going to live in a perfect place, and all this will be a dream from the past. But while we were walking this pilgrim journey, as the song we sing says, it is good to know that we are not by ourselves. And even though we can never be perfectly whole in this life, we know that our Lord is there to take our brokenness and to repair it. I read a story today of a missionary to the Philippines. And when he arrived in the Philippines, he soon ascertained and learned that there was a silversmith school that trained some of the leading silversmiths in the world. So he and his wife visited it, and there were articles for sale, most of which he could not afford, but there was a little money clip with a magnificent silver design. And he bought that money clip, and for 20 for 25 years, he carried it around. But one day, unfortunately, as he was sliding some bills into the money clip, it broke. And he hated to lose such a beautiful piece, and so he made the trip back to the silversmith school in the mountains in Luzon. And there was an artist who met him, 
And the man said, hey, I've got this money clip and it broke. And the artist put it in his hands and smiled and said, I know what this is. I designed this particular piece. I made every one that was made. See, that's, that's my, that, that design there in the silver, I, that's my personal design. And the missionary asked him, can you fix it? And the man smiled and said, sir, I designed this. I made this. Of course I can fix it. I think with my anxiety, I feel that way. As I put my life in the hands of God, I hear him say, I designed you. I made you. Of course I can fix you. Anxiety for whatever else it is, is never a solo. Let's pray. Our God and Father, you know how frail and weak we are, and yet you are in love with us, and you know us, and you watch even the little details of our lives. Help us to remember we are never alone. And the battles that we face, you go in before we get there, and you stay after we leave. And you place your hand of blessing on our heads. Thank you for changing the narrative that we walked in with today. In Jesus' name. Would you just continue to bow your heads with me? The reason this part of the service is so important to me is all of these promises are for the Christ follower. For someone who's in a relationship with God. You guys know I hate religion. I don't mean I hate the people in it. I just hate the system. Because everything that we have is because of a family relationship. And actually, it's an adoption into God's family. And that's not a matter of joining a church. It's not a matter of performing community service. It's a matter of just taking God up on his invitation. Scripture tells us that to be adopted into God's family is a gift. It's a gift with no strings attached that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. All of our dysfunction, all of our failures, they were paid for by the blood of Christ when he died on the cross. And then three days later, Jesus arose from the grave alive. And anyone who is willing to just ask God for that relationship, committing to Jesus Christ to allow him to be our Lord and King, then we can enter a relationship with God that will last forever. If that sounds beautiful to you, Although you may not understand a whole lot about it yet, I'm going to ask you just to take God up on his invitation. Now, here's what I'm going to do in the next 60 seconds. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to pray it really slowly so that you can decide if you want to own the line and say it to God. But if you say it to him, the God who knows how many times you stood up and sat down today will hear your prayer. You ready? You can pray it with me in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. God will, God will hear your prayer. Dear God, I am a sinner. I am broken. I cannot fix myself. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he lives... 
I want Jesus to be my Savior and my King. Help me to live the rest of my life for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, South and North Auditorium. If you just prayed that prayer, go to any info center. They're all over the campus. And just tell them, I prayed with Mark. And they won't hassle you. They won't do anything that creates anxiety. I promise. (laughs) There's a gift box I have for you. It's got a Bible in it, just like I preach from. It's got a book I wrote that answers some questions, some other cool stuff. Thanks for being here. We'll pick this up with verse 2 next weekend. See you soon. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.